Actually, it's Exodus 31. That's a misprint in the bulletin. Exodus 31, beginning to read at verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Exodus 31, beginning to read at verse 12, and here we hear God's word as follows. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Would you then turn to the New Testament to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2? Mark, chapter 2, I want to read verses 23 through to the end of verse 27. Continue to hear God's word with me. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered into the house of God in the time of Abathiah, the high priest, and ate the bread of the, of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Would you now turn with me to Psalm 42, and let's stand to sing the first two stanzas of Psalm 42. congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered together in this place. If you read carefully the fourth commandment and the catechism's explanation of it, you will notice that this catechism or this commandment begins with, brings or it brings worship and work into an intimate connection. The commandment ties the two together, telling us to work on the sixth day and to worship on the seventh. So much then for those who argue that all of life is worship. It is not. All of life may be praise or service to the Lord, but it is not biblical to say that all of life is worship. It is not. But now notice with me that the commandment puts worship first and work second. And that's also the divine scheme of things. First, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and then six days shall you labor and do all your work. And what we are to understand already is that that work must follow worship, and our work must be influenced by our worship. And our confession speaks of these things, and I ask you to follow with me as we try to develop that theme and tie all these things together. 
I want to administer God's word to you using as my simple theme, keeping the Sabbath day holy. Keeping the Sabbath day holy. In our discussion on this particular commandment, perhaps even more than in our consideration of any other of the nine commandments, it is very important that we remember that the law is spiritual and it is not simply a code to which we must conform ourselves outwardly and externally. We need to remember that it is only the spiritually regenerated Christian who is able in precept and in principle to live according to the principles and precepts of God's law. We need to guard carefully against that error of the Pharisees who argued that the external cleansing or a careful keeping of rules would satisfy the Lord. Jesus said, not so, not so. Jesus made it ever so clear that he was more concerned about the heart condition. Jesus argued that the heart must be right. In other words, words, the natural, meaning the unregenerate man, whose mind is at enmity with God, will always and only break God's law and trample God's covenant under his feet. The non-Christian, even though he might refuse to work on the Sunday, he is still not honoring the Sabbath. The natural man, the the non-Christian, he can take a day off on Sunday, but he cannot keep the commandment requiring Sunday observance. Follow with me for a moment as I try to explain. Every time a business in a local community, especially smaller communities, but every time a business in a local community changes their hours to facilitate Sunday shopping, almost immediately the letters to the editor page of the local newspapers are flooded with protests. All kinds of people rise up in protest objecting to the wide open Sunday shopping. And that in itself is not necessarily wrong. I myself have done so on occasion. God's people are indeed called to speak out when God's laws are violated, but then the Lord also requires that our letter bears testimony to God's law. If we're going to write letters to the editor, if we're going to witness because God's law is broken, then we need to spell out why we objected that Sunday shopping. And unfortunately, many times we, we mean well, but we argue for the need of, a, for instance, a common pause day or a day of rest to spend with families is required. And seldom will you hear or read in those letters that God's law is being violated, and that's why we're upset. The thinking is that such an argument may convince believers and unbelievers alike. And if sufficient numbers object, numbers of people, if sufficient numbers of people object to Sunday shopping, then perhaps the trend will be reversed. And somehow many well-being Christian people believe that if all shops are ordered to close their doors by government legislation, then God's law is being honored and then the objective becomes changing the law without changing the hearts. And that is really a serious misunderstanding. People God, please do not misunderstand. I have no objection to legislation that would require all retailers and places of amusement to close their doors on the Sunday. And I also believe that it falls within the realm of the civil government to, to protect a believer in the observing of this day of rest. I also believe it to be the Christian's responsibility to speak out against laws which violate God's laws. But I still insist that the true observation and consecration of the Sabbath is a highly, strictly spiritual matter. It is a gift and an act of God that can be performed only by those whose hearts have been born again and filled with the Spirit of Christ. 
And therefore, even though the government would forbid it, that shops were open for business on the Sunday, even though no one would have the opportunity to buy, to sell, to bank, or to conduct any other kind of business, still the Sunday would not be honored, not one whit more or less had the government legislated wide open Sunday shopping. To enact legislation that would force people who do not believe in the Lord to a certain code of conduct only creates Pharisees. We need to understand that. You see, the Sabbath is and the Sabbath will be observed if the shops are closed or open by those who seek to serve the Lord. The government cannot legislate authentic spirituality. Only God can do that. Legislators cannot bring about Sunday observance by an act of government. Only God can do that. Only God can bring that about in the hearts of individual believers by an act of sovereign grace. And the Sunday will be properly observed. The fourth commandment will be properly observed regardless of any act of government. And the opposite is equally true. Government can make the shopkeeper close his doors, but the government cannot legislate him to keep the Sabbath holy. In the fourth commandment, we are dealing primarily with the notion of rest. God is a God of rest, and on the day of rest, God's people are commanded to enter into that particular rest of that particular day, that, that, that day that the Lord has prepared for them. The word Sabbath means rest, and as the commandment reminds us, it has its origin in the rest of the Lord on the seventh day, after his six days of creation. In Psalm 95, God in anger swore to the unbelieving generation that they would not enter into his rest. And the epistle to the Hebrews admonishes us to be diligent to enter into that rest that remains for the people of God. But that then raises the natural question, what is that rest? What is the biblical notion of rest and what is the rest of God that God's people are admonished to enter? Well, follow this with me. It's an important biblical and spiritual concept that we want to try to develop together. According to the Bible, man is commanded to enter into God's rest. That means then that we are to rest from sin and enter into righteousness. We are to rest from corruption and enter into holiness. We are to rest from the lie and enter into the truth of God. We are to rest from our enmity against God and enter into fellowship with God. We are to enter into the covenant love fellowship of God, and we are to love him with all of our strength, our minds, and our hearts. We are admonished to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called, and we are called to be followers of God. In other words, congregation, we are called to work to enter into the rest of God. In this respect, there is no difference between Sunday and Saturday. Our whole life is to be a Sabbath life of walking in the rest of God. Remember what I said earlier about all of life being made up of worship? No, but of praise or service to God. But now, God in his great love gives us one day. He gives us one day each week wherein we can devote ourselves exclusively to entering into that rest. And and how necessary that is. Our daily battles on this earth against the world, the devil, and our own fallen flesh is difficult. And the things of this earth, the cares and the anxieties of this world, the cares of our daily work and our daily duties have a tendency to weary us to such an extent that often it is difficult for us to set our minds on the things that are above. 
The world burdens us. The world wearies us. And often our devotion to the Lord suffers because of our earthly cares. And now God in his love for us provides for us one day out of the seven on which we may or must work, must cease from our daily work. We may completely separate ourselves from the things of the world around us. God, as it were, creates for our benefit and for his glory a vacuum, if you will, from the daily workaday world. People have got unbelievers who appreciate the Sunday as a common pause day of rest, and, and believers who find the Sabbath a burden have never really understood the Lord's day. This commandment to honor the Sabbath is not a burden for the child of God. Oh, no. In fact, the child of God calls the Sabbath his chief delight. For the Christian Sunday is a, a blessed privilege. The Christian knows and understands the meaning and the significance of the day of rest, and he he understands that the Sabbath is not given as an end to itself or as a common pause day. Oh, no, on the contrary. The Sunday is given to the children of God, not to sleep on the couch, but in order that they might fill the day with heavenly spiritual things. It's a day given the Christian to congregate faithfully with the rest of the people of God in worship, and to be occupied with the things of the kingdom in order that our faith might be strengthened unto the battle of faith that confronts us in the other six days of the world. In the world, that is the significance of the New Testament Sunday. Understand this well, especially our young people need to capture this. For the Christian, the Sunday is a day of celebration. It is a day in which we may which we may particularly show that we <coughs> belong to the Lord. Sunday is not a day of a long list of do's and don'ts. And if that's what you were looking for this afternoon, you will not hear that from me. I'm not going to tell you what you may and may not do on the Sunday. It's not a day of do's and don'ts. But no, 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 it is a day in which we may rejoice in God's work of creation and salvation. For us, it needs to be a day of rejoicing. It needs to be a day of of celebrating in the Lord. That's what the psalmist conveys so well in in Psalm 92. The heading over the psalm in my translation reads, A song for the Sabbath. And we hear him crying out, It is good to sing thy praises and to thank thee, O Most High, showing forth thy loving kindness when the morning lights the sky. It is good when night is falling of thy faithfulness to tell, while with sweet, melodious praises songs of adoration swell. Note with me the joy and the happiness with which the Sabbath was received by the psalmist. It is good, he says, it is good to sing thy praises and to thank the almost high when morning lights the skies and even when, even when night is falling, songs of adoration still swell within his bosom. All of the day, all of the Sabbath day, from morning until dawn, till evening falls, all of the day was a song of celebration of his joy in the Lord. People of God, the Sunday is a day of joy, a day of celebration for, the, for God's people. It is a great gift of God for the benefit of his people. And if we don't see that, then we will never appreciate the Sabbath. In the days of Amos, the people couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over. They needed to get back to doing business and making money. They could hardly wait for the day to be over. They said, when is the Sabbath over? When is it over so that we may offer our wheat for sale? You see, they hated the Sabbath. 
They wanted to work. They wanted to do business. They wanted to make money. They couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over. It was a burden for them. Oh, how sad for them. In the days of Nehemiah, the gates of Jerusalem had to be closed on the Sabbath, and no commerce was allowed in the city. Nehemiah even forbade the merchants from camping outside the gates because it left the impression that they couldn't wait for the sun to go down on the Sabbath. No, 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 cried Nehemiah along with the psalmist. The Sabbath is not a burden. It's not a burden that needs to be endured and quickly rushed by. It is a day that is to be, it is to be savored. It is to be appreciated. It is to be celebrated. It is to be cherished and treasured. It is to be eagerly anticipated. It is to be, it is to be longed for each week again. But if we are to celebrate our joy in the Lord, then we also need to have and to take the time to celebrate. And to that end, the Lord gives us this day. The Lord comes to his redeemed people and he says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor even your maidservant, your manservant. Everyone shall rest, even your cattle, before this day is holy unto the Lord. In other words, the Lord gives you the time. The Lord gives you the time and he commands you to take that time and to use it in the way in which he has commanded it. And it is important that we understand how the Lord has intended for us to use the Sunday. In Exodus 31, we read it together. The penalty for working on the Sabbath was death. So obviously the Lord was quite serious about Sunday observance or Sabbath observance. There was to be no work done on that day, meaning then our daily work, the things that we we do for a living. We need to understand this. Being involved in our daily work, trying to make a living, providing for your family, and financing the kingdom of God, those things require so much of our time. And oftentimes it is early to rise and late to retire. Man can even become a slave to his daily work. It becomes all so consuming. Man can even be driven to a point of physical and mental exhaustion by all of the pressures and the responsibilities of his daily work. And often there is no time for true worship and celebration. But in Exodus 31 verse 17, we read that the Lord rested on the seventh day and was refreshed. And so it must be also for man. Rest is a matter of of refreshment. Sunday rest is to be a time of relaxation, a day for recharging our batteries spiritually and physically. On the Sabbath day, we are commanded to lay aside our daily work altogether, and we are to find for ourselves rest. On Sunday, we are free, people of God. On Sundays, we are free. We do not have to go out into the fields. We do not have to go to the shop, to the office, to the classroom. We are free. We are free. But, but, but we are not free to do as we want, as some have said. To that truth, the catechism points the way. As we study the scriptures on the matter, it is clear that the verb used as rest does not mean that we can simply laze around or spend the afternoon on the couch. Again, in Exodus 31, we read that the Sabbath was a day of solemn rest. In Leviticus 23, it is spoken of as a holy convocation. That's it, congregation, that's it. Convocation means a calling together. The Sabbath has always been a holy convocation, a day of the gathering of God's people. In short, congregation, God gives time off from work. 
in order for you to gather together in that holy convocation of worship. I want to, re- I want to repeat that. <coughs> God gives you time off from work. Not for you to do as you see please, as you yourself see fit, but God gives time off for work in order for you to gather together in that holy convocation of worship. All of life is praise, but Sunday is a day of worship. That's what we see in both the Old and the New Testament. A holy convocation, a gathering activity on the day of the Lord. Young and old, gray hairs and young children, all gather together at the temple of the synagogue to offer sacrifice of thanksgiving and to ask for the word of the Lord. Already at a very early time in its history, the church concluded that in order to worship, time was needed. And that time was given on the Sabbath. Already when the law was given, God ordained that man would worship, and God knew that in man's busy schedule, time could hardly be found. And so God regulated in such a way that time would be provided. And so he ordained the Sunday for the purpose of worship. And therefore the Catechism speaks so clearly that the fourth commandment requires of us that especially on the Sabbath, I diligently attend the church of God that especially on the Sabbath, I diligently attend the church of God. And congregation, my dictionary defines diligently as doing something with perseverance or with constant faithfulness. And so what we learn then is that the fourth commandment commands of us that in the proper keeping of the Sabbath, we are to faithfully gather with God's people in the house of the Lord. In fact, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy means that we faithfully, with perseverance, attend the worship service with God's people in God's house. That means that whenever and wherever God's people are gathered together for worship, my place and your place and the place of your children is to be there with them. We belong there. That's where our heart and our body needs to be on that day. That is where we are to find our joy and our delight, and we have the time for it. God has given us the time, and to not use it for that end is to misuse the time that God has given you. We have the time for our worship services because God gives it and we have the desire because if the Holy Spirit is in your heart, then it is a delight for you to gather with God's people and to worship with them in the house of the Lord. People of God, capture this with me for a moment. Capture with me the spirit of the psalmist in Psalm 42. We sung a little bit of it. We're going to sing the rest of it after the sermon. But... For whatever reason, the author of the psalm was far from Jerusalem at that time. He was far from the place where God's people gathered for worship, and he was deeply troubled. He, he, he longed to be with God's people. His heart burned within him. He longed to be with God's people in the house of God to worship. He cries out, Yea, my soul doth melt within me when I bring to memory... How of old I did assemble with the joyful in the temple. Bitter tears of lamentation are my food by night and day. Yea, I thirst for thee. I cry, O God of life. Oh, when shall I come again to stand before thee in thy temple to adore thee? Or if you will, 
as the heart about to falter in its trembling agony panteth for the brooks of water, so my soul doth pant for thee. Yea, a thirst for thee I cry, O God of life, when shall I come again to stand before thee in thy temple to adore thee? People of God, when was the last time that you or I wept bitter tears because we could not attend a church service? When was the last time that our absence from the worship service was forced? Was it not usually by choice when we were not there? I'll pray with me that God would grant to us once again the spirit of the Old Testament saint whose heart was broken, whose heart was broken because he was unable to gather with God's people for worship. The psalmist could not go to church. We don't know exactly why. And yet he longed for it. He cried out, Yea, a thirst for thee. I cry, God of life. Oh, when shall I come again to stand before thee in the church to worship and adore thee? Does that sound like you when you stay home from a worship service? The day of rest which is the fourth, of which the fourth commandment speaks, it finds its focal point in the worship services, in the gathering of God's people. We are to worship God diligently, faithfully, regularly, and joyfully, and consistently. Then finally capture this concept with me yet. The day of rest as we know it, in a real sense, is still only a temporary oasis. Tomorrow it's back to work back to the cares and the pressures of the world around us. This afternoon we leave the safety of this sanctuary and we go back out into the world. And also there is as yet no permanent respite from our struggle against sin. Our rest is over for this week. And almost immediately because of the pressures of the world and because of our own sinful fallen hearts, we begin to long for the coming of the next Sabbath but, 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 and capture this with me. The best, the best, the best rest, the best rest is still to come. And to that glorious truth, the catechism points the way. There is a great, there's a great promise encompassed in that day of rest. The promise is that one day, one day our earthly toil and labor shall be forever done. All earthly disappointment, all strife and sin and sorrow, pain and the vanity of all earthly striving will be striving will be completely and forever finished. Then, then we will enjoy the final Sabbath rest of God. That is what the author of the letter to the Hebrews refers to when we read of the Sabbath rest which remains. It is to that final rest that our present Sabbath rest is but a, a, a very tiny foretaste. The present. Temporary rest is a promise of that future eternal rest. The celebration here every Sunday, the celebration here this afternoon is in anticipation of that great feast of the Lamb. We look forward to that great and final rest. The Sunday shapes our whole week as a, as a week of service to the Lord, but each Sunday also prepares us for an eternity of serving Him in full perfection. Oh, here on earth we are often so disappointed both in our work and even in our leisure time. But the hope of faith, the enjoying of the true Sabbath rest will not disappoint or deceive us. Oh, no. One day we shall enjoy perfect rest in the land of the promise. And to prepare us for that, the Lord in his love gives us one day each week to be set aside in preparation for that. Pray that we might see to it, people of God. Pray that we might see to it, that we will use the day well in accordance with the fourth commandment. 
If the current day of rest, if the Sunday is a burden for you, then you also will have no interest in that eternal rest. But if each Sabbath is a delight for you, then you then you then they are only a small, very small foretaste of that eternal rest which God has laid away for you. The well-known biblical expositor author Pink writes in his connection, a Sabbath well spent brings a week of content and strength for the toils of tomorrow. But a Sabbath profaned, whatever may be gained, is a certain forerunner of sorrow. People of God, the day of rest should never be a cause of conflict in our homes or in our churches. If we can agree on some very simple principles, some scriptural principles, then the day of rest will never be a source of strife. We need to agree that the Sunday is a day of holy convocations, a day of worship. We need to agree that those worship services take precedence over all and any other matter. All other activity of the Sunday must stand or fall in the framework of rest and communion and fellowship with God. Then the day of rest will never be boring or stifling. No, no, then the Lord's day will be the very instrument that allows us to breathe in this stifling world. It is the gift of God to enable us to look with eager hope and expectation in the midst of this hopeless world to look to that great rest of God in Christ. May it be so for each of us and for our children. Amen. Shall we sing again of Psalm 42, this time verses 5, 6, and 7, the last three stanzas of Psalm 42.